Welcome to the May 9th, 2019 Science Fiction Club meeting. And uh, so uh, it's, uh, I don't know, I guess we'll just start with people who want to talk about their books. Um, Marshall, you didn't get a chance last time because either you had to leave or you were tired of the apocalypticism, um, which uh, I can understand, I guess, a little bit. I, I'm not as big a fan of those either, but if, do you want to go first now? Just so you no, can get it. No, because I don't, haven't read any books. Oh, okay. All right. Well, whoever wants to go in then can. Uh, you got, well, Evan, why don't you go? You didn't get a chance to go last time. You, well, you that's true. Yeah, we were we were well after ten last time. Not that so we have to stick. To, we were only actually the meeting was only fifty two minutes after I cut all the extraneous, and so we don't have you, to limit ourselves to an hour. But we were running late for some yeah. people at least. So why don't you well, go first? Since we I have a long. Minutes. I read this book the month. I read this book um, in March. Actually, I was going to talk about it last month, but. And I am, I've been reading this month, but it's, um, it's a sh collection. It's one of the year's best annual collections from Gardner Desois, and I'm over halfway through it. But I'm not going to talk about that because uh, I haven't finished it. And besides, I wanted to talk about another book that's a large book. It's a sprawling space opera book by Ian Banks called The Algebraist. And I really enjoyed it quite a lot. I have problems with some of Ian Banks's books. Um, I've read uh, a few that I thought there was gratuitous violence in. And this one has a small amount, but not as much as uh, some of his other books have. Um, it's not a culture book for anybody who might be familiar with the culture. It's not, it's one of the few, two or three science fiction books that he wrote uh, that aren't in the culture. He wrote 10 culture books. Uh, he was a pretty prolific author before he passed away. He passed away, I don't remember exactly how old he was, but he was not more than 60 or in his early 60s or late 50s, I forget. He had something, a terminal disease. I'll have to look it up again on Wikipedia. I was reading about the culture the other day, but I forgot to look him up and see. Um, but anyway, this book called The Algebraist is... Um, uh, 24 hours long. It's, as I said, it's a big space opera that was shortlisted for the Hugo back in 2005. It didn't get it. I don't know what it was up against, but it was definitely a competitor. It uh, takes place not on Earth. It takes place on another planet. It's about 2,000 years in the future. And um, the setting is... Um, definitely a contrast to his culture, which is kind of a utopian setting supervised by AIs um, and people pretty much do what they want. And um, this one is a, a tyranny called the Mercatoria. And it uh, is the, the protagonists are humans. Um, and one of them is the main guy that the book spends most of its time on is uh, called a seer. And he spends a lot of his time. Oh, and a lot of, and people live much longer than they do now. They can live for centuries or, you know, over, over into the second millennium. Um, and so he is a seer, which means he spends a lot of time with the other main characters in the book, which we don't, we don't see it from their point of view, but they're 
The main aliens are called dwellers, and they live in ja gas giant planets. And they have been around for billions of years. And each individual dweller can live for a long, long time, uh, millions of years. They're really large creatures. And most of them don't have anything to do with the quick, as they call, you know, people who live on ordinary worlds, Earth-like worlds, who live at a much faster pace. Um, so the seers who go to visit them, they either go in, in craft that they can use to navigate in the gas giant atmosphere, or they go by remote, um, you know, like uh, they, they put down a remote virtual sensing thing and they connect to it from, you know, a satellite or something. But the main character, names Fasten Talk, he goes down in, an, in a spacecraft to the gas giant world and spends a lot of time with the seers. He has to slow down his time sense. The technology in this book is pretty advanced. There's a lot of genetic engineering and stuff. And so people are human, but they've been, you know, obviously they live a lot longer and they can do other things. And so now the plot, okay, there's another, a couple other things. There's the tyranny, there's the, the Mercatoria, and there's the, the galaxy is connected by wormholes. And these wormholes have been around for a long time but they can be disconnected. Um, there are, there, in addition to the Mercatoria and the, the dwellers who are not governed by the Mercatoria, they are not part of that. They don't submit to anybody's authority and they can fight when they have to. Um, and they're very good at it. They worm, the, the galaxy is connected by wormholes. There are thousands of them. There was a war several millennia ago that supposedly eliminated all the AIs, and there are still organizations in the Mercatoria that go down and hunt ones that manage to slip past um, and still be around that they've detected. And so there are wormholes, and there are, there's the Mercatoria, and there are Beyonders. They're called Beyonders. That they're, they're against the Mercatoria, and they they fight a guerrilla war and they sabotage wormhole connections when they can. And that can be bad for a world because it takes, you know, you know a, a, a ship has to come back at as close to light speed as it can to reestablish the wormhole connection. So that can take centuries if it's if something, somebody out, you know, away from a main part of the galaxy, which this planet is. So the plot is that the seer, who's the main character, he managed to get hold of something that he wasn't really aware of at first. He gets information from these dwellers, and they talk about all kinds of things, and he gets, you know, their cultural information, and, and uh, so he managed to get this list, or part of it, which supposedly delineates a, a list of millions of wormhole connections that the dwellers have that has been not been divulged until it was mythical, as I said, but there appears to actually really be such a list. And he got part of it. Um, it's in three parts and the, there's a part that has coordinates and there are two parts. That's what's called the algebraist. That's a formula that when you work through it tells you what those coordinates mean. So that tells you where the list, where the actual wormholes are. And, of course, the Mercatoria is just dying to get a hold of this list because, you know, that would just, 
you know, connect all kinds of worlds that are no longer connected or were never connected in the galaxy. But there's another guy who's in a part of the galaxy that has been disconnected for a lot longer, for many centuries, and his name is Luciferus. And that is pointed out early in the book that it is not a coincidence that it sounds a little familiar. Uh, he's a bit of a psychopath, and he heard from some aliens who had discovered what Fass and Talk had found when they were going through the data that he um, gave the Mercatoria. And he has found out, and it took a long time, obviously, because he's not connected to the wormhole network right now, and he wants this list, So he and he is very brutal, and he's coming to the planet to get it. Um, so that's the basic plot, but there, as I said, it's a 24 hours long, the, the book spends a lot of time in the gas giant planet because the, um, the, um, Luciferus is coming with his fleet to invade the, the system that, um, Fast and Talk lives in and try to get a hold of this list from him. And he can, he beats the 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 Mercatoria is aware that this invasion is coming, but they can't send a fleet in time to stop it. So Luciferus gets there first, but um, Fasten Talk takes refuge in the gas giant planet, and he and but he doesn't know you know where the rest of this dweller list is, where the two where the algebraist is, but he knows somebody who may know the the, the dwellers are. Well, they're alien. I mean, they don't have a rigid hierarchy. I mean, nobody actually runs. Well, they don't. They don't reveal it anyway. Who runs the military when they're attacked? You know, who decides? Well, it's not like a strict government-run hierarchical operation. Just people take care of it. Um, so, it's that's the basic plot of the book, and it's very. Um, you know, he goes through um, wormholes. He um, I mean, uh, to, to find, track down dwellers who may have parts of this list. So you go to different environments. The, most of it's spent in the gas giant planet, but there's, there's other places where he goes, different worlds, and, and he's captured eventually by a ship, he and his companions. And so that's the basic plot of the book. If you like Peter Hamilton, um, You'll like it probably. There are lots. There are different aliens, you know, different shapes and different. You know, it's um, there's some really interesting settings and descriptions of the gas giant atmosphere, and there's a lot of galactic history. This book, as I said, it's a it's really a big sprawling canvas. If you like that kind of thing, with a lot of um, uh, history and a lot of um, different kinds of exotic aliens in it that he talks about to some extent, you know, they're not the center of the book, but it fills out the setting, so to speak. Um, so that's, that's the book. It's the algebraist by Ian M. Banks. It's on Bard and Bookshare. It's read by a British reader, uh, reader on uh, Bard. It's a commercial, it's a commercial audio book. And Banks was a, uh, British writer, who's actually a Scottish writer. Um, it's an extremely good book. There's a gratuitous plot line in there, I think, involving um, 
uh, a four fastened talk and three of his friends and their youth, they were exploring a ship that was downed and they weren't supposed to really be in it. And one of them got killed. It might've been an accident. It might've been on purpose. One of them, other friends thinks it's on purpose and he wants that she wants to get even with the guy she thinks who did it. And, but I think they could have taken out that whole plot line and the book wouldn't have suffered any in it. But it, fortunately it doesn't take a lot of the book. Um, so that's basically it. It's really, really good. It's interesting. It's not padded at all. There's a lot of, um, most of the most of the galaxy, most of the real estate in the galaxy, most of the planets, you know, there's so much galactic history that just about everywhere you go in the galaxy now is owned by somebody because somebody's been there and, you know, either aliens have been there or, you know, or a series of aliens who took it, you know, there have been wars over the past and... Um, and actually, there are two kinds of humans. There are the humans that came from Earth, you know, in the you know in the not too distant future from us. But a few thousand years ago, some aliens who were part of the Mercatoria took humans off of Earth and put them on other planets, um, so that when the Earth came, when when humans came out from Earth, who were capable finally, you know, in the they found humans already out there who were part of the Mercatoria. So they kind of feel like second-class citizens because, you know, they were, you know, they feel like they are, they're called remainder humans because they are not part of the culture of the Mercatoria until they come out. Well, the other humans are called advanced humans, A-humans. They have been there for thousands of years and they've been part of the Mercatoria. So, it's like Earth humans who feel like they're the originals, really aren't the originals in the in the Empire now. So anyway, uh, and there's some resentment about that. But anyway, um, that's the basic story. There are some surprises in it. There's you know there's it's interesting. The aliens kind of have a the dwellers are kind of like, you know they're they're not really all that serious and solemn all the time. They have you know some of them like to party and stuff and. You know, so it's kind of it's it's got some fun, but it's very serious. There there are nukes flying around at certain points, and you know, there's some serious stuff going on. But there's some humor in it as well. It's very intelligently written. If you've ever read much of Ian Banks, his books have this intelligence about them. It's hard to. I'm sure you guys have read people who just give off this air that they really are in command of their writing and they know what they're doing and they they. Um, you know, they just have this feeling about them that they're very articulate and, and Banks writes that way. He's extremely, he was, a, it's a shame that he died as, or as young as he did because he was, despite the problems I have with some of his books, he, he is really, uh, he really made a lot of good contributions to SF. So if you want something long and involved a little bit and, um, with some really interesting aliens. Well, you want to get that one. So that's it. Okay, who wants to go next? If anybody's still well, awake. <laughs> I may as well, I guess. Um, I wanted to tell you about the down-home zombie blues <laughs> by Sinclair. It's spelled L-I-N-N-E-A. 
and then S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R. Despite the title of the book, you'd think this is going to be a comedy, but it's not. It's not a comedy, and when you hear the word zombie, if you're thinking Night of the Living Dead, forget it. It's not that kind of zombie. Um, the setting is present-day Earth, um, contemporary, but unknown to the people of Earth, there is an intergalactic civilization out there. I didn't say just galactic, it is intergalactic. Mm -hmm. It is huge. And they have laws and rules such that um, uncontacted planets like Earth are not to be allowed to know that they exist until um, the people of Earth get out there into the galaxy themselves and then find out that they're not alone. But among these galactics, there are criminals. There are certain things against the law, and there are criminals that do these illegal things. And one of these illegal things is zombies. The zombies that are being referred to are biological robots. They can be created individually, or more efficiently, they can breed. And these criminals want to turn Earth into a breeding ground for their zombies. Now, of course, the criminals, it is in their interest to keep their existence a secret from the Earthlings themselves, um, at least until the zombies really start proliferating and start using human beings as food. But um, I might mention that uh, just like in um, the book that was just mentioned, there are already out there in the galaxy, there are humans that is part of that intergalactic civilization because um, the humans... Earth has been on, under observation for thousands of years, and every now and then somebody has to be kidnapped. Um, I think early on it, they were kidnapped just to be studied, and then every now and then somebody finds out about the intergalactics, and to keep them quiet, they have to be kidnapped. And once they are kidnapped and taken to another star system or something, they breed with each other, so they have a pretty viable population going. And of course, if somebody, if the civilization is going to send somebody to Earth to observe or to intervene in something or whatever, they're going to have to send a human so that they won't be recognized as aliens. And in fact, um, to fight these criminals, there is a an intergalactic cop sent by the name of Jory. She is a female cop who looks just like a human. She is a human, only descended from humans who were removed from Earth who knows how long ago. It also happens that it is in the interests of the criminals to send humans to Earth too. 
so that nobody will be able to identify them as aliens, at least not until their zombie breeding program gets well underway. So they are humans too, but they are into bioengineering, not only the zombies, but they have bioengineered themselves so that actually, if you know what to look for, you can pick them out. Um, imagine the men as the most gorgeous hunks of malehood you could even imagine. If you see somebody, a really good-looking man who beats every other man you've ever seen, that's probably one of the criminal aliens. The women, the same. Absolutely, completely, and totally gorgeous. So actually, it seems to me that they're not really that hard to identify. In any case, though, the um, <clears throat> zombies, when they feed, um, it isn't really described exactly what kind of nutrition they get out of this, but the um, they will feed on people, and they do not consume the whole body. In fact, what is left is a something pretty much of a, a dried-up husk, like a mummy. So, in any case, one of the zombies gets out of control and leaves by a human mummy, a corpse, and something happened that neighbors or something noticed some kind of ruckus was going on, so they call the cops, and the cops get involved, and I suppose the main character is a an earth cop who comes into this building and finds a dried-up mummy and lots of futuristic-like equipment around, and what it comes down to, he ends up finding about the intergalactics, and he's going to have to be kidnapped. Except um, that he can do his job, and his job is the same job as the female cop, Jory, who came to Earth, and they can work together before he gets kidnapped. And he is implanted with something that causes him to be incapable of spilling the beans on these intergalactics. And by the way, that kind of makes me wonder why he has to be kidnapped in the first place if they could prevent him from telling anybody. But the two of them start to work to track down these alien zombie breeders. Um, I'm going to say that this book is a science fiction romance. Now, I told you once before about another science fiction romance that was awful, even though on Goodreads, nearly everybody else who read it thought it was um, a five-star book. I, I thought it was awful. That was the one with the um, romance between a human big hairy monster with fangs and fire breathing and all that. You don't have that on this one. This one is a bit better. This one is not bad. Um, I'm not going to say that it's real good either, but at least the romance seems to stand out of the way of the science fiction. And the romance that develops, of course, is between the two cops, the intergalactic cop, Jory, and the Earth cop, I forget his name right now. Um, and it goes parallel to the story. It is not... not it, is not necessarily the main 
plot there. The, um, more like the main plot is police work in trying to track down the zombie breeders. Um, now, <clears throat> I, I will say that it's not really bad, but I will say that interjecting the romance in it does make some pretty corny things happen now. It gets a little corny. But um, this is one that I would have told you about about two months ago. Two months ago, I was going to, and then I couldn't get into the... Um, into this room and then the next month came along and I had a much better story to tell you about that was um, everything matters so I put it aside again and now here I'm finally telling you about this one and my memory is fading a little um, I can't really remember how the problems are resolved and all and that tells you right there like I said, it's not bad, but it's not really good either, and it's not something that it's going to stick with me for the rest of my life. And in fact, after about two or three months, things are already fading. But essentially, that is the story for you. So there you go. Hmm. Yes, I would say hmm too. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thank you both of you for such erudite, um, you know, intricate explanations. Um, no, that's I, that on Bookshare or is that where? Uh, that, that's you can find that at Bard. Oh, okay. yeah, I just put it on my wish list. Um, would you say that you? I'm kind of unclear. Do you recommend the book? Pardon me. Do you recommend the book highly or? Um, I don't, highly, or? I don't highly recommend uh -huh. it. Like I said, it's in places it gets kind of corny, and it after only two or three months, I, the memory of it is already already fading. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that I I would not call it a really really good book that everybody should read. But again, it's not really all that bad either. And if you are a romance fan and a science fiction fan, then I guess you'd really like it because you get both here. And even though one of the romantic partners is from outer space and the other one is from Earth, they are still human and they are humanly attracted to each other. But I will say that neither of them are nearly as attractive as these criminals. And by the way, that's one of the corny parts. What beautiful people these criminals are. <laughs> what's, yeah, the, what's, the title, what's the title again, Roger? I know it's got zombies in it. The, ti the title is The Down Home Zombie Blues. <laughs> I love the title. The title's great. I mean, yeah, the title's the worth title. the right there. The yeah, that, that kind of attracts me. <laughs> but I, I was going to bring up a book that I um, would like your opinion on. I have... Um, I have it on my um, stream, and I keep things getting in the way of my reading it. But um, it's called Red Rising, and it's about um, Mars. Some, I think it's not too far in the distant future, and I think there's some uh, political themes in there. Yeah, the, 
I yeah, read. and so I, if someone knows more about it, I'm, I have a feeling I will like it. I just haven't gotten into it, and so anything anybody can share with me would be great. Well, it's pretty harrowing. I mean, the guy goes through a lot of. Um, I don't remember it real well, but he's, he's. Uh, it's a very tyrannical, um, and he's got to go through. He, he's trying to. Oh man, I'm trying. I'm trying not to say too much because, first of all, I don't remember a lot, but I just remember that. You know, he goes into this training to serve in some army or other, and he is, you know, but he's, um, you know, his, I, I think he went in because he was, you know, against the system, not for it. Um, so he's a, like a double agent or something, but he is, there's a lot of violence in it. Oh. I remember that. We didn't read the sequel. Uh, Lucy oh, oh. and I read the first book together, but it was just, it's pretty uh, violent. Oh, thanks. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I liked, sort of liked the scene that he was somehow, um, there was a servant class on Mars. Right, and he that, comes that out was, of the servant mm -hmm. class. Right, and, right, and there's the elite and the servants, and he wants to train so that he can overthrow the elite class or whatever. But he goes through, there's a great, and he's... You know, it's, I don't remember a lot of details of it now. Yeah. It's been a few years, I think, since we've read it. But I just remember there was quite a lot of violence and stuff. In it. So it's, if you don't mind that, I mean, you might enjoy it. It's suspenseful. It's, you know, will he be caught? You know, will he blend, Will he be able to get through? And, you know, what happens when he finally makes it, if he does, you know, to the... It's really I, I generally don't like violence. Um, you know, it, it kind of makes me cringe. It depends how it's handled in the book, I suppose. You know, if it's really graphic, um, you know, it, it it depends. But mostly I try to avoid the violence. But thank you for telling me that. I don't really have another science fiction book to share, so I'm going to defer to you other guys. I was here for some recommendations, you know. Well, that's why I say when I recommend something, if you like so-and-so, that's why I said, you know, if you like Peter F. Hamilton, or if you like space opera, then you'll like the algebraist. If you don't really want a long book with, with a vast canvas, you know, you want something more personal or more, you know, smaller, then, you know, so it's, it, recommending books can be hard because it's hard to recommend universal books to a lot of people um, because there's so much stuff to read out there. And so when I recommend a book, I try to recommend it you know, to people who like other stuff. Oh, yeah, of course, you know, yeah. Similar and, vein. And let me say something else about the Down Home Zombie Blues. Um, the, like I said, one of its main problems is that it's a romance, and romances are not exactly, most romances aren't exactly considered to be of high literary quality anyway. But um, unlike the other science fiction romance that I told you guys about, this one, I think that the author actually does know something about science fiction. And that's why the, the science fiction part doesn't really come off as that um, corny as the other one did. So you just might like this one, especially if you are into romance. So, um, Marshall, you don't have a book, right? Nope. You've read books for how many years? You surely you got something you read long ago. Nope. Not well, really. Okay. Well, Alan, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Now, I, 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 I'm going to have to say, y'all going to have to forgive me because I'm in so daggum many book groups that I hardly even have a chance to read for entertainment. So if I can find a book that I want to read for entertainment that I can pigeonhole into this group, even though it's not purely science fiction, I'm going to do it. So uh, uh, the, 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 my book tonight is really more fantasy, but, but it's a classic. It's uh, The Hobbit. By, by Tolkien, which I, I imagine a lot of y'all have read. And, uh, but I'm reading it on Audible. I, I can't really... I, I, the, uh, I'm reading... I've, I've read The Hobbit and I've read uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. I'm going to go through all of them. Of course, I've read all these before. But uh, I have to strongly recommend the Audible versions of them. Those are the ones I'm reading now. If you've got any Audible credits you can spare because... Rob Inglis, who reads them on Audible, is is outstanding. Uh, he's uh, he's British. There's a British narrator that reads one of them on on Bard, but he pronounces Legolas uh, Legolas, and I, I really couldn't forgive him for that. So you know, it's uh, uh, I, I I put a lot of stock in the narration and the quality of the production and stuff and. And the audible, the audible renditions of these are, 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 are very well done. There's a lot of, there's a lot of. I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming everybody's read these before, but maybe not. There, there's a lot of uh, songs within the the Lord of the Rings and in the Hobbit too. And this Rob English guy, he, he like he puts everything to tune, and he's got a great singing voice. So uh, I, I know that really neither here nor there, but uh, I, I, I enjoy the production part of it and. Uh, uh, for those who've never read The Hobbit, it's the story of uh, uh, a hobbit, a halfling, uh, Bilbo Baggins, who gets invited uh, as a burglar to go with a group of 13 dwarves who are going back to their uh, their homeland to try to get their, their treasure uh, from, a, from a dragon named Smog, who's kind of like taking over everything. So uh, it... Uh, it, 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 it uh, it, it's pure fantasy. I guess it's, it's no way you can call it science fiction. So you'll have to forgive me, but it, it's a good story. And uh, I've read uh, it many times. Yeah, I, I'm sure most people have. Uh, uh, the Lord of the Rings just just gets better. I'll talk a little bit about the Fellowship of the Ring, which I read too. But d does anybody remember the name of the uh, the guy that, that that kills the dragon in The Hobbit? I thought that was kind of interesting. Hard. I, very good, very good. I thought, oh yeah, Bard the Bowman. I, I totally forgot that, and uh, or, or didn't make the connection. I guess the first time I read it in print, you know, of course I knew Shakespeare was a Bard, but uh, Bard's got a different meaning nowadays since I'm getting all my books from there. But uh, 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 I, I was kind of surprised to hear that. I thought that was that was pretty cool. But uh, 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 I, I really the 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 scene the. The scene where where Bilbo is uh, playing the game of riddles with uh, with Gollum is is very well done. This, this guy does a real good job of doing Gollum's voice, and uh, uh, I, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I think probably he's going to appear mostly in the two towers in the uh, the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. But uh, mostly, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, 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 the, the Fellowship of the Ring well, is is excellent. The, the chapter with Tom Bombadil is outstanding because, uh, you know, Tom Bombadil's 
sings a lot. Uh, and, yeah, uh, it's one of my it, favorite parts of the book too. But it, you'll never yeah. find it in any movie or any oh, I know movie, it. I, any production. He, he, no, he totally no, got left. Out, he totally got left. Everybody out of, uh, leaves him out. Yeah, which I don't really understand. I guess it, maybe it's too hard to do, but. Uh, uh, he's he's great. He's one of the best characters in the whole trilogy. But, uh, well, that's uh, a long. I, I'm breaking all hell. I'm breaking the rules myself. But um, he doesn't really fit with the rest of the Lord of the Rings in many ways. If you read the older stuff, um, he's never mentioned. He kind of he kind of got shoehorned in there uh, in a way because he really. I mean, after he's you know after they leave him, he's mentioned briefly and. Uh, in at the Council of Elrond, and then he never shows up again. He never right, really right. plays a part in the. He he doesn't uh, you know, and as I said, he's never mentioned in the older you know in the literature of you know the Silmarillion or the other oh, book right. that he wrote. He 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 was not part of the uh, legendarium to begin with. I think he was put in, you know, maybe because he was. A character that Tolkien invented, and you know, I I don't know. I, I have to investigate that to see. But he, he, but if he doesn't really fit with the rest of the, that's not a justification for leaving him out of the of the uh, BBC productions or the movies or whatever. But right, right. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, of course, yeah, Alan Jackson could cut him out so he'd have more time for battles. I right, mean, right, I yeah, I really, yeah. you know, there's some things about the movies that I like, but overall, I thought. You know, I didn't really care for them that much, um, especially right, right, the, yeah. the later ones where it was just so much battle time. Yeah, well, I I did like the way Peter Jackson did uh, did the character Theoden, and I mean the, the movies. He, I mean, he was a great character, but I mean he's doing a lot of battles and stuff too. You're right. But the Hobbit, I I I liked to see my favorite scenes were with when they were with Bayern. You know, and his animals. And, oh right, yeah. That, that was that was a great that was a great chapter. Yeah, so, I really uh, and they're yeah. going through Mirkwood. You know, yeah, great yeah. chapter too. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, that's interesting. Though talking about you know being po politically correct and stuff, how you know they insult Bomber for being fat and you know, <laughs> right. they, yes, exactly. you know he says I'm yeah. always last. You know, because they want to take right. it. well, and, and Thorin says, well, you shouldn't be so fat. Yeah, you know, you can't say. I don't think you could say that in a book now without somebody <laughs> doing it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Everybody, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't fat shame anymore. No, people get all over. You. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, back yeah. then you could say that, and nobody would, you know, people just didn't complain about it too much. But, right. right. Uh, anyway, it was. A, it's a wonderful book. Um, right. Yeah. It, it, it is. I and I, 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 but, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I can, but I we can, probably you're right. But uh, I hope we won't set a precedent uh, with this. Uh, well, let me get in there with a, a comment about pronunciation of names. I read the entire Lord of the Rings um, saga. You know, the trilogy and the Hobbit and the whole bit. Right. Way, way, way back when I could read print. Yeah. Uh, actually, back when I was in high school, and um, so I kind of had to come up with my own pronunciations of names. Right. And then there was Smeagol. That's the pronunciation I came up with. Which mm -hmm. is correct. Yeah, S-M-E-A-G-O-L, Smeagol. And I have always thought of that character as Smeagol. But then along comes movies and audiobooks and what have you 
and everybody else pronounces it Smeagol. And right. in my mind, every time I hear him called Smeagol, that just grates on my nerves. To me, he will always be Smeagol. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And that's actually the way Livingston Gilbert pronounced it when he read The Lord of the Rings for NLS back in 1972. Uh, I don't know about the later readings because I haven't read them, but uh, that's the way the original person who read The Lord of the Rings for NLS pronounced it also. Okay. You know, I, I don't uh, read much science fiction, but I... Did read one this month, so I thought I'd come and talk to it about you. Uh, but since you all do read a lot of science fiction, you probably already know about this book. It's called 48 Hours, written by the author of uh, Four Seconds After. And uh, if you've read Four Seconds After, you know that was uh, a book about a nuclear weapon was set off in the atmosphere and started a magnetic pulse, which... Uh, cut off all the electricity everywhere in the world and and this one is a sunburst uh, energy uh, coming from the sun and it's detected and if it uh, goes off a little bit before uh, they should predict then it, it'll miss the earth if it goes a little bit later then they think then the earth will be passed and it'll miss again Otherwise, it's going to hit the earth uh, right square on. And that's going to be the end of all uh, life on humanity because of radiation will kill everything. And the only uh, way to, to, uh, for anybody to hope that they might survive it is to go deep, deep underground. And uh, so there's uh, people... Uh, trying to find uh, a place to hide underground and of course there's uh, all kinds of panic and everything Try everybody trying to get into the same place and so it's a it's a pretty good book but it but since i read both those uh, i didn't think it was quite as good as tw uh, four seconds after because four seconds after was so uh plausible something that could really happen next week well it is more right it is more plausible than the sun one definitely because uh -huh. there yeah. are several countries who could ju just do it and some of them i have a feeling would might just do it for the heck of it <laughs> I, I don't know if it's any more possible i think the, i think mm -hmm. the sunburst is a hundred percent uh going to do it but as they explained in the book it's not uh i don't mean when, when i mean more likely forever you know it's, right. it's going to be a sure thing it's only more likely. Right, uh, that's uh, what I meant. Yeah, more likely. It's more likely. But uh, anyway, so uh, there's a uh, couple of books that, uh, I mean, the book that I thought was uh, 24 hours. Uh, 48 hours. 48 hours. 48 hours and, yeah. and, it's, and it's not the greatest book, but none of science fiction I ever read is the greatest book, but it's pretty good. I think you're the second person who didn't someone else talk about that in the last month or two, Alan or yeah, some, yeah somebody, somebody did. Not, yeah, what's your name? Was, what's your name? My name is Ladon. Ladon. Oh, I, I think I've seen you on some mailing lists. Um, yeah, maybe yeah. so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So right, that's um, yeah the the EMP pulse. That was the first book. Um, mm -hmm. 
And then there was one in between there too. There was one that was uh, after the, the kind of the recovery from the EMP pulse, but right. I, I didn't like that one very much. Who's the author? What's the author's name? William Forstian, something like that. What is, what is the name? I, 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 forgot, I think I it's Forstian. I think it is Forstian. Yeah. yeah, I'll look it up for, for the Newswire. Don't worry, I'll find it. And, and surprise, surprise, it doesn't sound like any of us have read it after all. You thought we'd all read it. No, <laughs> well, I haven't read it. I tend to avoid those kinds of books. I used to read them, but I read a lot of nonfiction nowadays, and I, I think I've read enough disaster books. Uh, I, I, there's other books I want to read. Um, I just... Um, well, I, I don't want to go off on a rant, but anyway. And you, you, you don't like those kind of books. I don't. Not really. That no. Much care. I don't that much care about books far, far away and uh, yeah, see, I far like in the distance and, and yeah. all the uh, stuff that's not possible. I, uh, tw uh, four seconds after that, that that's possible. Now, I, don't, I, don't, I, like. I don't like the post-apocalyptic books, so, you know, we all have our I've read some in a long, I read, I like uh, Rebirth by uh, John Wyndham. Uh, that was a really, that was a post-nuclear uh, book, but it was set quite a ways afterwards, and there, some mutations created telepathic people, but they had right. to hide their telepathy because anybody who had a visible, uh, discernible, mutation was killed uh, yeah, yeah. it was a, a rigid you know which is kind of understandable when you think about it that humans might go that way to protect themselves from you know right. dangers you know they get suspicious and superstitious and uh, you, you just you just reminded me uh and, and it's not a book but apple is uh, starting a new streaming service you know and they have a new series uh, they're coming out and uh a virus has attacked the world, and most people have died. And those who did not die uh, all went blind. Everybody is blinded. And then the story is several hundred years later, and the people who exist now can't hardly remember or, or can't hardly believe that there was ever a time when people could see. Huh, sounds like something that might be interesting later. Well, uh what what the day of the Triffid? That was another John Wyndham book. Yeah, see, he he kind of liked disaster books. A lot of British writers, post-war British writers, kind of gravitated toward that. I guess. Um, didn't the plants, the walking plants, in the day of the Triffid, didn't they blind people? Isn't yeah, they did. No, yeah, no, yeah. no. How did that work? No, 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 no. The blinding. See, there was, was a meteor. Meteor shower. Right. Was what blinded the people? Not really oh, a meteor that it shower. wasn't really. They think it wasn't. Towards the end of the book, they kind of disclose the fact that it wasn't a meteor shower. It was some kind of weapon yeah. that oh, went off okay. accidentally. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, they, had, they had these weapons in orbit, and I guess I, I think maybe one did get hit by a meteor or something like that. Uh, it, it seems that I seem to recall a meteor shower being involved, but yeah, I think a meteor. Well, what did those plants do? Those walking plants. Well, that, that was well they accidentally, well, they blinded people with their stings. Right. That's what I thought. I'm going to have to reread that, though. It's been like yeah, 40 yeah. years since I read it, so I don't remember much of it, but I sort of remembered that. Well, I guess we have. Uh, I guess we've gone through everybody's books. It was interesting. We went from a really large turnout 
last week to a smaller than normal one this week. Right. Uh, I just have one question I think might be of general interest, which is um, if someone could send me a link, I would like to join. Uh, there is a list serve associated with this um, this group, or yeah, it's low traffic, so you won't uh-huh. have to worry about being bombarded by a lot of you know, messages. But there's a few from time to time. Yeah, maybe somebody could send me um, an address. I too better so I could subscribe. Like oh, sure. to it. Yeah. Free lists. Alan, I usually usually get your emails. I got this email from the GB Book Review. If no pressure, but if you could send me a link, I might get some recommendations that way. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I joined. Uh, early oh, magic, no pressure. Magic hoops or anything, Evan, to get to on the. I don't think so. I'll see. Because Mary used to Mary used, Mary to, used to approve people, and I don't know if I don't know if you can if it's automated now or if, if somebody has to approve if if somebody has okay. to approve people uh-huh. it might be up the creek because yeah, I don't know crazy. if Mary knew and if anybody else knows how to access the account um, when after she yeah. passed away. Well, um, I run a free list uh, free list mailing list myself, and at least on mine, mine is open to anybody. But you can go to the do a search for it at free lists and then there's a combo box where you can just um i think you leave it at join the list and then uh, well does does somebody have your e how do, alan do you I've have her, i've got i've got her i've got her yeah okay. he says well, the TV book reviews and, uh, yeah thanks and, alan and, no pressure no pressure if, I, if you don't hear from me in a day or two realize that i've forgotten mm-hmm. i'm not deliberately ignoring you and just remind okay. so okay but uh i'll uh I'll, I'll try to remember and send you what i can find out about it and i just have to speak up for the post-apocalyptic <clears throat> or uh, books i do enjoy them and i think what's interesting to me about them is that each one is a different differently calamitous or differently disastrous and i guess um i understand if you don't like post-op apocalyptic books but to me they are kind of like projections of what might happen some of the trends in our society if they go a certain way you know technology or other things and so i do like them um and what i do um am looking for the intricate books where you have a whole universe created you know and it's intricate and the political systems are intricate you know i think to myself gosh I'm reading about the history of this other galaxy, and I'm not sure I don't need to review American history. You know, so it's a big intellectual commitment, but that's a personal thing, you know, for me. Um, I like something, Yeah. you know. I see. I understand that. I understand that. Uh, One of the things, though, that um, one of the reasons why um, Star Trek has been so influential, though, is because... Mm -hmm. It was so optimistic. I mean, just with all of its faults, and I can list many, um, it assumes that humanity gets its act together, and that is very uh, that is a very powerful thing to, you know, to spread because, you know, um, it can it can imbue people with optimism, which can be kind of a virtuous cycle. You know, it it, it influenced many people. Um, to be more optimistic about the future, which kind of impelled them to uh, work to make the future better. 
Post, you know. I can't say that word. Uh, those other kind of books, <laughs> I can't say. I also do that, though, because most yeah. of them, after, after the calamity, they tell you how uh, resistant and, uh, that um, uh, human life is. And, and usually in those kind of books, you find that the, 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 we work our way back. Also, yeah, I, I think guess so. But you can get I, enough. I, you can get enough apocalyptic stuff from history. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that's the problem I have with just the futures should be different. I mean, and we could try to make it different. That's my. I think. That's my I think the important thing about the post-apocalyptic books, the way in which they may be positive, is their cautionary tales. Yeah, I know a lot of that. That's that can be true. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that can be true. Well, it's a good discussion to have because there's pros and cons. Definitely. You know? Yeah. And, you know, it's a big universe. Science fiction is the biggest universe. I mean, right. you talk about mainstream literature, it's a tiny, tiny thing, you know, compared to the breadth of, you know, that science fiction can have. Right. Um, so but that's a, I, guess I don't that's know. Romance is pretty big. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of what it can talk about. Okay. I mean, in terms of what it can talk about, science fiction yeah. is the largest. When I walk you know. into a when I walk into a bookstore, you know, the biggest section seems to be the romance rack where all the women are. In terms mm. of popularity, sure, and mysteries too. And then, and then, and then, if you see a, a shelf of western, you got some men standing over there. <laughs> Remember what John W. Campbell said about that? He pointed out that all literature, other than science fiction, deals with the here and now or the very recent past. Right. Science fiction, on the other hand, deals with all of space and all of time and all the universe and all other universes if there are other universes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the uh, point. You can talk uh, about anything as, as long as it's uh, as long as it's based on you know natural science. You can talk about anything. Um, well, I guess I should close up soon. Before um, we break up. Okay. Before we break up, there is something I wanted to point out. There is a book that I scanned for Bookshare. It was one of the first books I scanned for Bookshare, actually, uh, called Earthmen and Strangers. And soon after I joined this little group, Mary was reviewing that book. It's Earthmen and Strangers. I think it was edited by Robert Silverberg. I first read it back when I think I was in junior high school. And then I came across it again when a neighbor whose husband had died many years ago, she still had his collection of science fiction books. They were old and they were falling apart and they were yellowed and all of that. But I started scanning them and I scanned Earthmen and Strangers and thought that was one that was completely forgotten, that no one would have ever heard of. And right up until now, I've thought that. But I just wanted to point out, I noticed that recently, just a few days ago, it was added to Bard. Yep. <laughs> so, oh, and that, that, yeah. I, you I, want to try vintage science fiction from way back in old anthology, there it is right on Bard for you. <laughs> Yeah, and your book reminded, Roger, your book reminded me of something else that just showed up on Bard today. It's not science fiction exactly, but it it's close. It was about this guy who, and this is a sequel 
who believes that lost civilizations, you know, that were high-tech aliens helped ancient civilizations, and that how that's how they achieved some of the great, you know, the things that they achieved. Um, if that's nonfiction, I consider that a bunch of. Uh, <laughs> well, that's what know. I mean, but but it kind of reminded me of your book because it's kind of like you know people playing around with you know ancient humanity. It was kind of like the same theme of this book. This is a sequel to it. I mean, this is this is popular mythology. If you listen to Art Bell and all that stuff, you'll hear about all that stuff a it's lot. A is it a sequel to Chariots of the Gods? No, it isn't. I, I'll post it on the SF Club list so you can see it. Uh, it just appeared on Bard today, though. Okay, um, and I'll, po it? I'll post it. If it's nonfiction, it's hooey. <laughs> it says it is. Uh, as I said, I know. I know. But that's what it says. Okay, guys, uh, I will post that, and um, I will get a newswire out next week and uh, next month, and I will personally scold Alan if he doesn't send it to the SF Club list, just to, just to, just to rip yeah. him a little. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are going to meet in five weeks this time, on June 13th, 2019, and if it's not raining the way it was today, I will be outside. I would have been outside tonight. It's warm enough. But next month, perhaps I will be outside. So we will talk to you guys next month. I hope we'll see more people like we did last month. Okay. Thank you, everybody. All right. See you yeah, next night. night.